Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. There are many Bible stories about how the Lord Jesus Christ healed the sick and dying. He was known as the Great Physician, whose compassion and healing power attracted multitudes of sad and afflicted people. But not all people were drawn to the Savior. In fact, the religious people were the greatest critics. They felt they had no need of Christ in their lives. He exposed their hypocrisy and sin, and they hated him for it. Is it any different today? Join us as evangelist Mr. Eugene Higgins takes up what he calls the real pandemic. That is, the pandemic of sin in the world. Only some people will contract the awful coronavirus, but the horrific pandemic of sin has affected all of us, and it will bring all of us to hell unless we each personally experience the power of the great physician. Jesus said he had power on earth to forgive sins. That means You need to have your sins forgiven before you die. And praise God, this is what the gospel is all about. You can be saved here and now. I'm reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. When the scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he... This, of course, is Jesus. How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole, those who are healthy, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The year 2020 has certainly been a difficult and painful year filled with sorrow and suffering for many people. We have become all too familiar with the word pandemic. Prior to this year, the word seemed to belong to ancient history with its stories of the Black Death and cholera and smallpox and the Spanish flu. But of course, now it has a frightening application in all our lives. The word pandemic comes from the combination of two Greek words, the word meaning all and the word meaning people. Amid the discussion of the COVID virus, it might be easy to overlook the real pandemic. And that is what I want to speak to you about tonight. A pandemic that affects not only every person, all people on the planet now, but has affected and will affect every generation of humans from the first parents we had to this day and onward. The reality of that is expressed in a number of Bible passages such as in Romans chapter 3, where Paul says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and all the world is guilty before God. And Isaiah's words, all we like sheep have gone astray. Before we consider the verses that I just read to you, let me stress that sin is not a sickness, nor is anyone who becomes sick necessarily sick because of some sin that they have committed. 
But the Lord Jesus likens himself to the great physician, the physician for sinful hearts, if you will. And he speaks about two groups of people who have two very different responses to him, to his preaching, and to his offer of salvation. First of all, there are those who think that they are whole, that they are not sick. Then there are those who know that they are sick. And finally, there is the one who is the great physician. So think about those who think that they're whole or that they are already healthy. It is a great anomaly as you read through the four accounts of the life of the Lord Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is a great anomaly evident in the reaction to the preaching of the Lord Jesus that his greatest opponents came from the religious caste, the religious class, the religious group. Now, there were some like the father of John the baptizer and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, members of the Sanhedrin, who did believe in him, but the majority of the leaders felt threatened by Christ and by the leveling power of his teaching that all people were on the same level before God. He taught that every human life was of equal value. Of course, they believed that as the recipients of the law, they were superior to every other ethnicity. Not only that, but they believed that as the true guardians of the law, compared to even Jews in other places like Galilee, they were a superior kind of Jew. And on top of that, they believed that as adult males who learned the law and taught it, that they were vastly superior to women and children. The Lord Jesus taught otherwise. The Lord Jesus preached to women. The Lord Jesus received little children and blessed them. The Lord Jesus saved Samaritans. The Lord Jesus himself was from Galilee. This was unacceptable to the male leaders who believed that they alone were competent to know and to speak about God. The Lord Jesus taught that outward displays of piety were meaningless if inside the heart was corrupt. This ran counter to all their thoughts and in fact was a a severe condemnation of their hypocrisy. They thought that if they made a show of openly praying, of giving alms, of performing religious duties, they were somehow better than people who were outwardly and visibly sinful. That the Lord Jesus taught that their heart was just as bad as other sinners was infuriating to them. They thought of the general public, in fact, they called them this, people who did not know the law and were cursed, whereas they thought of themselves as those who knew the law and were blessed. Thomas Lineker, or Lineker, was king's physician to Henry VII and Henry VIII. He actually was the founder of the Royal College of Physicians, and he was a friend of the great Renaissance thinkers Erasmus and Sir Thomas More. He lived in a time when the general public did not have access to the word of God. Later in his life, he was given a New Testament and he began to read it. His reaction to his reading of the scriptures is very well known. This is what he said. Either these are not the gospels or we are not Christians. When you turn away from your own ideas and from what is popularly believed and you just listen to what God says, would that be your reaction? For instance, when God says, you must be born again, are you left saying either that is not true or I am not a Christian? 
Because when the audience heard the Lord Jesus teaching, they were left to either bow to its truth or refuse it and him. It is a great tragedy that so few of those religious people ever responded to Christ's call to repent. He points that out, that he came to call sinners to repentance because they felt they were righteous and they felt that they were not ill and that they certainly didn't need a great physician. Now, they occupied a recurring role in his preaching, in his parables, and were frequently seen opposing him in his ministry. For instance, the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray in the parable of Luke 18 was congratulating himself that he was not as bad as other people. The elder brother in the famous parable we call the parable of the prodigal son was irate at the father's love, grace, and mercy for the returning prodigal, the returning sinner, his brother. The son of the vineyard owner who asked him to work in his vineyard and glibly responded, as well as hypocritically responded, I go, sir, but never had any intention of obeying, was the way the Lord Jesus expressed people's lip service while their heart, of course, was kept far from God. Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7 looked down on the immoral woman who came into his house to the feet of the Lord Jesus and was surprised that the Lord Jesus actually allowed a woman of that nature to wash his feet with her tears. The 99 sheep who have no need or really no desire for repentance represented people who imagined that they had never strayed. Please listen to this statement from a famous American minister and think of the difference between what he said and what Christ taught. Here are the preacher's words. I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelistic enterprise than the unchristian, uncouth strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Now, if all of those words uh, were not properly pronounced or were confusing to you, let me just say that he is stating that to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition is uncouth, unchristian-like, and harmful to people. And yet, when you read the preaching of the Lord Jesus, you will find that that is something that he constantly did. That by showing people their lost and sinful condition, he was pointing them to how they could find a remedy and be saved. The Pharisees of Luke 15 looked down on the sinners that Jesus was receiving and eating with. And again, the scribes and Pharisees who brought the immoral woman to the Lord Jesus in John chapter 8 and threw her down at his feet and wanted to know whether she should be stoned, had to leave realizing that they had dark sins of their own. Let me just point out before I leave this how serious this condition is where a person feels that he is all right the way he is and does not need to be born again. It is from this class, it is this group of people that condemned Christ to death, turned him over to the Romans, and then stirred up the mob to cry for his blood. They did this out of envy, and as they themselves admitted, out of fear of losing their place and position among the people. Years ago, one man who was born in Cardiff, Wales, and who would eventually become very well-known, graduated from a London medical school. He became the chief clinical assistant to a very well-known physician, Sir Thomas Horder. Dr. Horder described his assistant this way, as the most acute thinker that I ever knew. That young assistant was a man named 
Martin Lloyd-Jones. When he was in his mid-twenties, Martin began to seriously consider his spiritual condition. Here are his words. For many years, I thought I was a Christian, when in fact, I was not. It was only later that I came to see that I had never been a Christian. He eventually realized that, quote, what I needed was preaching that would convict me of sin and bring me to repentance and tell me something about regeneration, about being born again. But I never heard that. The preaching we always had was based on the assumption that we were all Christians. And so it was only as Martin began to read the Bible that he came to an understanding that he needed salvation and that it was available through faith in Christ. You can see from his words that for many years he did not realize that he was, in the description the Lord Jesus gives, a sick sinner who was not whole but thought he was. But then the words of the Lord Jesus introduce us to another group of people. And I hope there are some I'm speaking to tonight who are described by this. People who know that they're sick. It is ironic, and I think this is the proper use of that word. It is ironic that those who were most drawn to the Holy Son of God were the unholiest of Adam's race. That those who felt most welcome in his presence were the ones who would never be welcomed into the homes of the religious leaders. Watch who it is that the Lord Jesus receives, whom he receives. He receives sinners. It is sinners whom he saves. He received tax gatherers and sinners, and he ate with them. He taught that they were like lost sheep that needed to be saved. You'll remember that in Luke chapter 19, he saved the chief of the tax gatherers in the city of Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus. People who watched the Lord Jesus enter the home of Zacchaeus commented that Christ had gone to be guest with a man that they thought was a sinner. And yet it was as a sinner that he came to Christ. And as a sinner, Zacchaeus was received by the savior of sinners. You'll remember that he forgave that formerly sinful woman who crept into Simon the Pharisee's home and rained her tears on his feet. He spoke of her as someone who had a monumental debt of sin compared to what Simon thought of himself. Simon felt his sins were very few and insignificant compared to that sinful woman. But when the story is done, it is the sinful woman, the woman who realized that she was sick with sin, who left with forgiveness. And Simon, who felt that he was fine the way he was, is left just that way. He shocked the disciples. The Lord Jesus shocked the disciples by speaking to and saving a Samaritan woman. Again and again, his compassion and grace for lost sinners were evident. It is a lost sinner whom he will receive. If you qualify tonight, there is salvation for you. If you are a lost sinner, there is a Savior ready to save you right now and save you for eternity. Notice when he receives a person. Because the thrust behind his words, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick, indicates that it is when a person, when a human being, realizes he is sinful, he is guilty, he needs a savior, that like a sick person realizing he needs a doctor, a sinner realizes that he needs Christ. Christ receives sinners when they turn from their sins and turn to him. Repentance was the evidence that a sinner knew he was sick, knew he was a sinner, and knew he needed Christ. Repentance was the evidence 
that a sinner no longer wanted to practice his sins, that he was turning from sins. Repentance evinced a change of mind as to the real problem, the real pandemic, the lethality, if you will, of sin. And repentance was the evidence that a sinner knew he deserved punishment for his sins and was coming to Christ for deliverance and salvation. One man who was not born into a Christian home and therefore was not raised with a knowledge of the Bible described his conversion to Christ in these, what I consider remarkable words. Bear in mind again, this is someone who had no background or knowledge of Christ and the gospel and salvation. He met Christians who spoke to him. He had a number of arguments back and forth with them, but he was open-minded and he searched out the truth. Here is how he described the moment he was saved. On August 24, 2005, at three o'clock in the morning, I placed my forehead on the foot of my bed and prayed, I submit. I submit that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. He came into this world to die for my sins, proving his lordship by rising from the dead. I am a sinner, and I need him for redemption. Christ, I accept you into my life. He went on to say, The difficult night that had not granted me peace was quickly fading away as sleep washed over me. I had finally proclaimed the truth of the gospel. I was finally a believer in Christ. I hope I can introduce you to that Savior tonight. He is the one who is the great physician. Here is what he alone can do. This great physician has the prescription for the plaguing problem of our spiritual ruin. He says, you and I need to be born again. You must be born again. Except the person be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He is offering you a spiritual heart transplant to correct the catastrophic injury that we have sustained as being sinners. This great physician has the panacea for the powerful pandemic of our sinful condition. His words were that he has power on earth to forgive sins. He can put your sins away. He can erase the record of your sins in heaven. He can lift the burden of your sins from your soul and conscience if you know you're sick and if you turn to him tonight. I love a story from the life of the famous gospel preacher, Charles Spurgeon. One evening while he was preaching, a woman of the street in the city of London who was so weary of her sins that she decided to commit suicide past the door of where he was preaching. She was on her way to Blackfriars Bridge to throw herself into the River Thames. And she passed that new Park Street Chapel and she thought she would just go in before she ended her life. She would just go in and listen to something from God before she killed herself. God's timing is exquisite. She stepped into that building to hear Charles Spurgeon speak on the text, Seest thou this woman? They are the words of the Lord Jesus who was pointing to a woman just like this woman. In Luke 7, he points Simon the Pharisee to the woman who was kneeling at his feet, who was an immoral woman, just like the woman who had momentarily walked in to that gospel meeting. She was stunned. She sat in the back and she listened. And she heard Mr. Spurgeon tell about this woman washing Jesus' feet with her tears. This woman hearing that Jesus was forgiving her sins. It just stopped her in her tracks. Instead of ending her life, she sat and listened to the gospel. And Charles Spurgeon wrote that God had given him the great privilege 
of not only seeing a soul saved from eternal judgment, but a life saved from destruction. There's a Savior who will save you tonight if you know you need him, if you know that you are sick. You know why he alone can do it? When you're reading through the Gospels, you cannot help but be impressed with his compassion. He alone felt the grief of all mankind and wished to deliver them and you from your sins. Matthew watched the Lord Jesus and his interaction with sinners and sick men and women, and it reminded him of the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 53 and verse 4, and Matthew recorded, when the even was come, they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils and cast out the spirits with his word. And he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Today, practicing telemedicine, fewer and fewer doctors are actually seeing, physically seeing patients, let alone physically touching and helping them. But the Lord Jesus touched sinners. He touched lepers. He took the hand of ill people without any possibility of contagion or contamination. It was a mark of his boundless compassion. And there is no one who cares more for your spiritual well-being and for your life than does this compassionate great physician. Of course, the idea of all of this brings us to his cross, that he alone dealt with the root problem of all our affliction and misery, our sin. The statement, Christ died for our sins, is the heart and soul of the gospel message. Nothing less than his death would avail. Nothing more than his death is required. This is how God heals sin-sick hearts. This is how God cleanses sin. This is how God delivers souls. This is how God rescues men and women. This is how God saves and will save you because Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And I want to close by just telling you, even if it's from personal testimony, but certainly with the Bible's truth behind it, the competence of this great physician is unrivaled. He can handle your problem. He can save you no matter who you are and no matter what you have done. Untold numbers of souls have turned to him, putting their otherwise helpless cases into his competent hands. Not one of those cases has stymied his power and ability to save. Not one time has he failed a repentant sinner. Not one soul has gone away without receiving a loving welcome and full deliverance if they came to him as a sick sinner who needed the great physician. Sin is the real pandemic. Christ is the great physician. Go to him tonight. He is able to save you. He is willing to save you. He is mighty to save. He is ready to save you and will save you today if you turn to him. William Thompson is better known as the famous Lord Kelvin, one of the greatest scientists Great Britain ever produced. On one occasion, he was asked just exactly did he consider his greatest discovery. His answer, the greatest discovery I ever made was that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He learned he was a sinner, and he learned Christ came to save sinners. I hope if never before, you will learn that.
Yes, sin is actually the root of all of our problems. And this spiritual sickness is what brings with it spiritual death. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners from the terrible consequences of their sins. He has paid sin's penalty on the cross. Have you trusted him as your personal Savior? You need to. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.